You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. It's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. Oh boy, I have such a great guest. I cannot wait for you to listen to our conversation here. I have somebody really special. Her name is Kristen Van Ogtrop, and she's a literary agent at Inkwell Management. But first and foremost, that's not what she's all about. She's all about talking to women and, you know, uh, women of a certain age, if we want to say it. And so I want to give you all of her credentials, but I just want to say she's just really cool and really funny and just wait till you listen to what we have to say. So in her previous life, she wrote a column called Amateur for Time and was the editor-in-chief of Real Simple and was named by Fortune as one of the 55 most influential women of Twitter. That is now a designation she finds absurd. She is a uh, <laughs> to the New York Times bestseller, The Bitch in the House, and the author of Just Let Me Lie Down, Necessary Terms with a Half-Insane Working Mom. I couldn't love that more. She <laughs> lives in New York with her husband, two dogs, and, an, and any number of children, depending on the day. And we are here to talk about the book, Did I Say That Out Loud? Midlife Indignities and How to Survive Them. Welcome, 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 Kristen. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, Robin. Um, it, and, and thanks for having me today. It's fun to, always fun to talk about this kind of stuff. Yes, I love it. And I can, uh, I can relate to your, your previous book, Just Let Me Like Down. Uh, that is, that's <laughs> like the, the best thing that I can have in a day is just a nap, to be honest with you. Uh, that is yeah. like the most decadent thing that I can have. And uh, anyway. And it I probably like- doesn't happen very often, right? How often does that really happen? doesn't happen very often. Once every six months, maybe? Yeah, I, I would say once a month, at least. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll make some time. I'll make some time. You know, my kids are teenagers, so they don't need me as much, right? They don't and, want you around. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it that way, but it's true. It's true. Oh, it is the harsh reality that, that you face, you know, as a, as a parent, how, you know, they need you, need you, need you. And then they don't at all. And it is like, did I do something wrong? Is this, is this, what's going on? Right. And so, well, but you know, it's not that they don't need you, but they need to separate from you. Yes. Right. They still need you, but they don't, they would prefer that you're not in their business all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's really a part of their development. It's a part of the way the brain is growing and it is meant to have them separate from us. It's all part of their evolution. So it makes sense. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't hurt a little bit, but it does make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so let's talk about your book. Why did you write this book? And and I can't wait to tell everybody what the chapters are called because it's hysterical. So 
Well, the impetus for the book was, um, you know, when I was a when I was a, I was a longtime magazine editor. I was the editor in chief of Real Simple for 13 years, and so as part of that, I would have to write a, an editor's letter every month, and I would I would often write about things. I would always write about something that was in that month's issue, but I would often kind of relate it to what was happening in my life, um, mostly because the sort of the outlines of my life were very similar to that of the reader. I was, a, you know, a busy working mom with children at home and who was just like trying to get dinner on the table, you know, in half an hour when she got home from work and, um, and too many shedding animals. <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, I would get feedback from readers like you, oh my gosh, I feel like you're my friend. You're describing my life. We sound exactly the same. And, and I, I experienced the same kind of thing with my time column too. And so that was kind of the, what drove me to write my first book, um, which came out in 2010, which was just a sense that I think for many of us, you are, you feel better when you read the experiences of someone whose life is similar to yours but maybe she talks about it in a way that makes you think about things differently or it's funny or, you know, it, so, so what I hope with this book is that, you know, it, this book is really geared toward women, mostly some men, but who are in this kind of middle part of life as I am. And, you know, talking about all of the, the various indignities and challenges and triumphs and humiliations that you, um, encounter in this middle part of life, um, but with a sense of, ultimately with a sense of gratitude, mm -hmm. you know, because I do think that when you reach, you know, I have, and there's a lot of my children in the book, I have three children who are 26, 22, and 14, all boys. And when you reach this stage of parenting and life, you have seen enough terrible things happen that either to you or if you're lucky to not so much to you but to people you know that you you know you're happy just to like get up in the morning you know and put two feet on the ground mm. so yeah there there is a lot of kind of like good natured crankiness I, I would say in my book but told with kind of humor and a sense this abiding sense of I think ultimately optimism mm. you know I have to say that in in the the moms that I've talked to, and it's mostly moms, of course there's dads, right? But it's mostly moms. There is um, this sense of loneliness in, in the parenting that they're doing, that they don't really want to really let people know that actually I am hurting, I am struggling. And there's this big should around everything. Like I should be able to do this. I should be fine. I should be loving this. And, um, and when somebody is just honest and say, and says like, I would rather work than be with my kids or it really sucks. And sometimes I wish I wasn't a mom or sometimes, you know, I cry myself to sleep or whatever. It's just owning the imperfections. I think there is, I think there, like moms really need to hear that. It's okay that you're not perfect. It doesn't mean you don't love your life. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. Right. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean, sometimes it's really, really hard. Yeah. It's often really hard and you don't, nobody has all the answers you know when it's easy to look around at other parents and families around you and think of all the ways you're screwing up yeah. but you don't know what's happening 
really what's happening in other families. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like, there's nothing, to be totally honest with you, Robin, and this is going to sound kind of bitchy maybe, but there's nothing that drives me more crazy than parents who talk about their children. Like A, they were the only children born in the history of humanity, right? And B, like, you know, who who can't stop talking about their children's accomplishments. That just drives me up because I feel like that's so inauthentic. Like I, you know, my kids, I have a great relationship with my boys and, but they're like a pain in the ass half the time, you know? And, and that's how I feel about most people in my life, you know, and, you know, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful, but there's humor in that. Like, you know, I'm sure that's how my kids feel about me, you know? And the one thing about, I mean, this is just a sort of a separate topic, but when your kids get, so my two older boys are older than your boys. And when your kids reach a certain age, like they call you on your nonsense, you know, like they get smart enough that they're like, you know, they say things like, don't be grumpy with me just because you're having a bad day at work, you know? And then you think, oh, wait, you know, that's what you can't believe how much they understand, you know, both the good parts of you and the, and the ridiculous annoying parts of you. And I think that goes both ways, you know, and that's one of the beauties of having your kids get a little bit older is you start to see how smart they are, even if, even if you're the object of their scorn sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I I, I was literally, I was with my, uh, I I do group coaching and I was with my group yesterday night and that's what we were talking about. I'm like, yeah, as they get older, they sure call you on your BS. Yeah, totally. So beautifully. He's like, mom, seriously. I'm like, yeah, you're right. No, it's totally dumb. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And it's good. You know, it's a really nice, um, it's a good course corrective for you as a parent. You know, if you're willing to accept the things they tell you about yourself in, in in an accepting way to know when they're right, it helps you keep yourself in check sometimes. And I think it's powerful for your child to see you say, you're right, I made a mistake. Like yeah. that's powerful instead of don't you disrespect me, you know, right. which, which is, which is what, what really the way we were probably parented, right? Um, I don't know about your situation, but really that's the generational sort of yes. paradigm that we've seen so far, right? And, uh, and, and I think that in, in, you know, just really in general, I think that it's, it's about just losing this, this facade of perfectionism. And when you call out those moms, like you just did those moms, those parents that are sort of these, these parents that, that talk about their kids nonstop and whatever, you know, I do, I do have a soft spot in my heart for them. And I'll tell you why it's, it's really because I think it comes from a place of lack. Maybe, maybe it is. Yeah. Insecurity. Yeah. And so I know that I, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I get that. And I have also been like, well, it must be nice because I have a child. One of my boys has a lot of extra needs and my kid isn't doing the things that their kids are. And so, you know, it does hurt as well. Right. So yeah, it is. It's just one of those things that try to hold space for them too. Right. Cause they have their own stuff going on. You know? Okay. So you're super nice. <laughs> and I think to me, it's one of the greatest challenges of life when, because 
look, look, when you look at human behavior that's annoying, it's often born out of insecurity, right? How, where is the meter on that? Like, when does, when does the fact that you're sympathetic and you sort of tolerate it because you feel sorry for the person tip over into, okay, I don't feel sorry for you because you're so incredibly annoying. <laughs> okay. yeah, you know I what I mean? Like, I think too, because really I would look in, I would say, well, why does that bug you? You know, what is, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so going in the wrong direction. We don't want to do that, but that's, that's how I would look at it. Right. Okay. You're right. I need some coaching. Clearly major coaching. Because it's going to make you not so funny and we want to keep you funny. So that's Ah. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's talk about these indignities that make us grumpy. And like, so what, what do you mean by that? When you say, you know, how to, how to survive the indignities, what, what are, what are the ones that you mean? Well, I mean, it's a lot of things, you know, some of them are physical, like insomnia, you know, which I think when you are a person of a certain age, insomnia can become just sort of like a facet of your personality, you know, or a, or a companion, a constant, or like your next door neighbor who pops in from time to time. Insomnia becomes that, you know, whereas when you're younger, you probably slept better, right? So that's a midlife indignity. But then there are also ones that are more serious um, where you have friends, you know, you see friends who get gravely ill and maybe pass away. You lose things, like I write about in my book, we lost a, a puppy mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And so there's a chapter in my book about the loss of this puppy and how it affected my children and my family and me and, um, and my community. And, and so some of the indignities are, feel sort of shallow, you know, like your teeth need more attention. You don't sleep as well. You're, you go through perimenopause and then menopause, you know, and then some, which is not to say those things are not important, but they, they don't wound you maybe as much as some of the more emotional things that, that befall you. And, and some having to do with kids, you know, it, it, as your kids grow, you learn things. There are sort of greater joys and greater sadnesses. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. You just sort of have more life under your belt too, right? You've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you know, once you hit 40, everything falls apart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a chapter in my book called things fall apart. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, uh, it is. It was like uh, right at my watch. It was like, (laughs) yeah, you want this to fall apart. Let's do that for you. And in some real thing, I, I, I mean, I think perimenopause, menopause, like that stuff is no joke. Oh, really F you up. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, really mess you up. And not yes. sleeping is not good. That is not good. <laughs> and no. I, I personally am struggling with it right now, actually. I can't. Oh, sleep. you are? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, it changes your whole worldview. You know, it, it, yeah. it just, and I write about that in, in a chapter in my book. Uh, it just, it, you know, you have a bad night's sleep and the next day your whole worldview is different and worse. Yeah. 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 And you look older too. You, you know, my eyes water uncontrollably, so I can't even keep any makeup on. Like it's the craziest oh, thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not good. And then, yeah, I'm really grumpy. 
you know, and yeah. then, yeah, I, ugh, it's, it's tough. It is Here's the, I think, okay, for me, I think after the night after I've had a bad night's sleep, I think I look somewhat older. I'd say, I'd say I look five years older and I feel a hundred years older. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you just, ugh. and sometimes I think to myself, do I look as bad as I feel or do I just think I look terrible because I feel so bad, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I yeah, either. I know. That's a good point. Ugh, I don't know. It's just, it's not fair. It's not fair, right? I feel like I want to pound my fist on the desk because it does feel really unfair. And that's the whole reason you wrote it, right? To make fun of it, but also say like, this sucks, right? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it, it, I mean, the reason that chapter about sleeping came about was when I was talking to my editor about this book. I was actually at a bar with my editor and heard the woman who's her boss at the publishing company. And the boss leans over and said, oh, you have to do a chapter on insomnia. And, and so, you know, it, th that chapter was her idea, but it's certainly something that, and, and the fact that that was the first thing that popped out of her mouth just kind of underscored yeah. how it's such a problem for so many people in yeah. the middle part of life. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching my mom go through it. I remember the really? Chinese herbs that made the whole place smell really bad just to help her through it. Yeah. She didn't want to take, she didn't want to take hormones. She didn't want to do any of that stuff. So yeah, I mean, she really suffered through it, really suffered. And then did it pass? Did it, did it pass? Did she get to the other side? She did. Yeah, she did eventually. But I, I want to say it was five to 10 years that she was really struggling. So um, I've taken note and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to suffer like her. So, uh, so I'll be doing some things differently. That's for sure. Cause that's just not an option, right? It's just not an option. Not no. Fair. no. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. What, okay. So you have the best titles for your chapters and I want to know, please tell us what is the fork lady? Because it's also on the cover of your book is, is a, is a fork with a broken tongue and then a cute little like confused sort of uh, yes. face. <laughs> yes, disturbed looking fork face. Yes. So Fork Lady is the first chapter of my book. And so just to be clear for your listeners, so my book is a collection of essays and each essay has kind of a theme that is concerned with, you know, some sort of midlife indignity. Uh, fork Lady is an essay about the first time that I sort of knowingly really confronted a serious illness, i.e. my mortality, I guess in my life. You know, there are times in your life when you, you know, you, it's like, it's so, you see this kind of thing in like commercials or movies where like a person's walking down the street and like cars are crashing behind them and like an anvil almost falls off, off a roof on their head and like they're just so oblivious they don't know. So I'm sure, you know, Robin, you and I both have had situations where maybe we had kind of brushes with death that we don't know we had, you know? Right. The car that didn't hit our car, but hit someone else's car instead kind of thing. Whereas the Fork Lady um, is an essay about a broken piece of a fork that ended up in my body and resulted in a week-long hospital stay. And I didn't get sepsis, but sepsis is what would have happened if I hadn't done anything about it. And so it was, it was not funny at the time. It was horrible. 
Um, and in fact, I, I, I sent a copy of my book to the surgeon who did surgery on me because I, I use his real name in the book and which I did, you know, which I do with his permission before we went to the printer. I said, I sent him the essay and I said, are you okay if I'm using your real name in this, in this essay? And, um, you know, at the time, and so it, it's, I think for those who read the essay, the feedback that I've gotten is it's funny. Like it's, I've taken this kind of medical emergency and I've made it a funny mm -hmm. story, but at the time it was not funny at all at the time. And in fact, I remember getting out of the hospital and someone said to me, oh, you should write about this. And I was like, no effing way am I writing about like that? That was horrible. And I never want to relive that. <laughs> but, you know, time passed and I don't know, often, <coughs> pardon me, if enough time passes, almost everything becomes funny. If you look <laughs> at it the right way, you know, so it became yeah. funny and I turned it into an essay in my book. And it's the cover of the book. So it was a very unusual medical journey. And the reason the essay is called Fork Lady is because that's the nickname the hospital staff gave me when I was in the hospital. I was you called really Fork Lady. had a piece of a fork in you. I swallowed a piece of a fork. Oh, my gosh. Did you, did you not know? Not on purpose. No, of, yes. course, of course not. I yes. hasten to add, I did not do it on purpose. <laughs> I didn't know that I had swallowed a piece of a fork. Oh, it was just like in a salad or broke off when you were eating. Yes, I think it was in a salad at like a takeout place. And it didn't just pass through you. It got stuck. No, it, it perforated my stomach. Oh. Um, and they didn't know. And, and they didn't know what was, they didn't know what was, A, what was wrong with me until they did a CAT scan and then they didn't know it was a piece of a fork until the surgeon took it out. Right. And he was like, oh man, it's a piece of a fork. <laughs> I think I was probably a first in the history of that hospital. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. I, I, I mean, it is so true that truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. But I learned in that hospital stay about a lot of bonkers things that people swallow that can perforate their stomachs. Like, so I'll just give you bay leaves. Just if you cook, I don't know if you're a cook. If you right, cook I, and you use bay leaves, the reason the recipe always tells you to take the bay leaf out is because those bay leaves apparently can do like a major number on you if you swallow a bay leaf. And then um, wire bristles from a grill brush. That's another biggie. Yes. Don't. If you have a wire bristled grill brush, as soon as we finish recording this podcast, go outside and throw it out. Yeah. And get a different one. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I heard that on the radio locally. Uh, there was a there was a radio guy that was talking about it and was kind of like, oh, this is the craziest thing that I've ever heard, whatever. Oh, okay, if you say so. And then on the weekend it happened to him and he knew right away what it was. And so he's like, <gasps> like he's like, like it's the thing in like it's in my throat it lodged in his throat oh. and they're like no oh. it possibly be right and he was right so yeah oh. we don't have that we have like a stone thing for our grill oh yeah that's good good yeah Keep doing no that. bristle no metal bristle brushes on your no. barbecue or grill or whatever yes no yeah. okay. you may you may live to regret it yeah. 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 So, so we're saving lives here, not just. Have, <laughs> that's, that's right. Really right. Really toothpicks good. is another one like skewers and toothpicks. Wow. But I would say in the order of stories <laughs> that I heard, 
wire grill brush is number one. Bay leaf is number, well, the bay leaf and, and toothpick slash skewer are kind of tied for a second. But the wire grill brush is the, apparently the big international problem. International problem. I gotta get those dollar stores to stop selling them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, and uh, that's that's crazy. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Uh, again, you know, public service announcement, not just a podcast here. We're really, yeah, saving lives. Okay, I want to know about the chapter, which the essay, I guess, if you, if you will, the I can smell my pillow. What is that all about? Oh, well, that's the insomnia chapter. And the, so the reason it's called I can smell my pillow is because when I, when my grandmother, who was Dutch, would have dinner parties when she was a younger woman, she's no longer living, but she would say in Dutch, I can smell my pillow at the end when she wanted people to leave. That was, oh, the, that, that was the way she got dinner guests to leave. And when I'm really tired on the day after I've had a really terrible night's sleep, that refrain is kind of going through my head all day long. I it's see. a longing for your pillow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In my mind, I was taking it in really weird directions, but thank you for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I explained the connection in the essay. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Okay. So now you have a chapter in here called your children, the disappointment. And, uh, and, and I want to call this out because you're actually giving this as a gift to everybody um, in the, in the parent toolbox. So I, so first and foremost, thank you. Um, and second, tell me about it. What, what do you mean by the disappointment? So as I describe in that chapter, I, and just sort of to, to say again, so my children are in their twenties and then I still have a teenager. And so what I write about in that chapter is the three phases of parenting. And the first phase is your child well, and again, like it's humorous, but there's, there's also poignancy. And I think that, you know, there, there are a couple of chapters in my book where there, there, there's a little bit of sadness. And I would say this is one of them. So, because you can't really, well, because it's natural, I think, to feel that way in some aspects of parenting, particularly as your children grow. So anyway, phase one is your child will be everything that you dreamed that person would be, that a person could be, you know, perfect in every way, basically, like a platonic ideal of a child. And that lasts until your kid is, you know, I don't know, four or five maybe. And then you enter into the second phase of parenting, which is your child disappoints you. And that's when you realize that just because your kid can identify a backhoe payloader by the side of the road doesn't mean he's going to invent a car, you know, or just because your kid can play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the piano doesn't mean he's going to get a music scholarship to college, <laughs> you know, like, so the, the, your child disappoints you. And then that's the really poisonous phase of parenting when you are most likely to compare your kid to other people's kids which is a really dangerous enterprise. Um, kind of going back to some of the things we were saying at the beginning. And then your kid continues to grow. And then once they reach a certain age, I think for me, it was probably end of high school, beginning of college, your child makes you, you enter phase three, 
which is your child makes you disappointed in yourself. And that's when, going back again to some of the things we were talking about earlier, that's when you realize that on a number of levels, your kids are better people than you are. Mm. You know, they're smarter about some things, they're kinder, they are maybe less judgmental, talking about myself here, <laughs> they are, um, right, right. you know, they know things about technology that your feeble middle-aged brain doesn't understand. Um, and they understand you. And so in that phase of parenting, that's when also the sadness creeps in. And so for me, that was also kind of a disappointment. I mean, I think this is true of a lot of my friends I've talked to, you know, I, I, I particularly as a mom, like you, Robin, who was always a busy working mom, you know, I feel like we parents, many of us fall into this trap or we make this mistake of always thinking about the next phase, you know, like particularly when your kids are really little, you cannot wait when you're in like tough phases, like, you know, potty training is it's sort of the perfect really early life example, but you sort of cannot wait for them to get to the next phase. Mm. And, and so there are many moments when your kids are younger, when you're really longing for them to grow up. And then when they do grow up, you're like, oh man, like this, is, I didn't want this. <laughs> like, and that's when the set. And so what I write about in the book is this sense, you know, when, when my old, youngest child, who's now in eighth grade, when he started maybe sixth grade and started that completely developmentally appropriate, totally natural phase of pulling away from me a little bit, you know, I would, I would walk around town and I would see cars with like car seats in the back or like little kids swing sets in the yard. And I would just feel the sadness of like, oh, I can't believe that part of my life is over. And it, it, well, and it's over. It was over in 10 minutes, you know, yeah. and that's disappointing because like life is wonderful and I don't want my parenting to be overwhelmed by sadness as my kids get older or, or um, in some cases regret right yeah oh totally completely but you know regret I don't know how you feel about regret like regret is such a self-destructive emotion oh, you know yeah. and um because there's so little you can do about regret mm-hmm. unless you use it to to transform future behavior but um anyway so that's why it's called your children the disappointment because you're at, there's a little minute when you're disappointed in your kids because they're not these perfect creatures and then they make you see yourself more clearly and and you disappoint your, <clears throat> excuse me you disappoint yourself yeah well so so I think I think a couple of things with what you said I mean you're right it's a series of heartbreaks is kind of what it is and we can't focus on just that because there's so much joy that goes along with it Right. So that's what you're trying to say, right? There's these beautiful moments, but then there is that sadness and it does break my heart. I'm hundred percent with you when I see, Oh, you know what? Like on a Saturday, nobody's asking my husband and I, what it is we're doing today. They've decided what they're doing. And we're like, Oh, okay. You know, nobody wants to be with us. Oh God. Okay. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And then, but, but I, but in a way, I think it's this beautiful, this beautiful transformation of your kids 
like being better people than you, you know, being less judgmental. And that is also because of you too, right? I mean, the, that's the work that we've put in too, to try to model that. So I think that we can kind of pat ourselves on the back a little bit and say, you know what, I made that kid. Like I, I you know, I'm a part of that too, right? Yeah. By accident. Yeah. Well, and, and, and one thing that's been interesting in this past year during this horrible phase of our global life is both of my older sons are living at home with us and mm -hmm. so we're all five in the house and I write there's a chap one of the later chapters in my book is about how my house feels like a fraternity because mm -hmm. it's me and all these males who never put their dishes in the dishwasher and eat everything in sight but um and so I you know there have been tensions certainly with all of us trying to work from home and our Wi-Fi and, you know, all of us on Zoom at once and uh, Wi-Fi problems and, you know, going through groceries like there's no tomorrow. But I think when I look back on this time, even though it was a pandemic that was a really tragic uh, event for the world, there were so many wonderful things about having everybody under the, this roof right now, which normally my 20-something-year-old sons would not be living with me. Yeah. You know, and it's really, it's kind of wonderful. Like I, I had a moment a couple of weeks ago where we were all in the kitchen having lunch on like a Wednesday afternoon, you know, and we're all working, but we're working from this house. Like how often am I going to have lunch with my 20 something sons mm -hmm. on a Wednesday afternoon? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my husband last night. He was talking about hockey uh, as the stereotypical Canadians that we are. And, uh, it, you know, and he was talking about this team that's coming to here. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. And I was saying, oh, that's really cool. Like maybe you and Parker will be able to go to that. And I said, this is going to be the fun part of when our kids get older that we get to do fun things like this with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not this narrow vision of like, okay, it's until they're 18, they're with us and then they're gone forever. It's like, no, it just evolves and changes and grows. And I think as parents, we have to evolve too. We can't just stay in this moment right? Feel sorry for ourselves. And we also can't run our own agendas as they get older because that's how they reject us. They're coming back to you because you are a good mom, because you, mm. you obviously respect them, you listen to them, right? And that's how we get our kids to come back. That's how we maintain these great relationships because how sad would it be if, you know, they don't come back to us. They don't want to be around us, right? So yeah. that shows me you did something pretty great. Oh, well, thank you. It, you know, and I think, I mean, going, just building on what you were saying about we evolve, I do think too, as your kids get older, you get smarter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had my, my youngest is 14 and he's a really, really sweet kid, but, and he's in eighth grade, as I mentioned, but he's kind of a little bit of a jerk, you know, like he's becoming kind of a teenage jerk. Mm -hmm. And when his, when his oldest brother when the older two brothers reached this phase, again, in my mind, you're much more of a parenting expert than I am, but in my mind, it seems pretty developmentally appropriate. I was like, oh, what is happening? Like, I just didn't, you know, I, is this who this person really is? Like, is this person that I'm raising really such a jerk? Whereas with this younger guy, I think, oh, oh well, like it's starting, you know? Yeah. But I know once he's like 19, he's going to be super nice again. Yeah. You know, 
and and it's nice to know that and it makes me more patient and like i'm able to just kind of roll my eyes and look the other way when he's doing th- something that's basically benign but irritating yeah he's acting like a teenager well and it's in it's the time when we take things really personally too right and it's not about us it's just their stuff so the more we understand what they're actually going through the easier it is to just like just relax just like you said right you just like oh yeah i've been through this before no big deal you'll be fine soon give you give you a couple years you'll come back you can be a jerk all you want it's fine right yeah right (laughs) right yeah. Oh, that's so great. Well, I, I just love everything about your, you know, just the way you're talking about parenting, how you have such a realistic view of it. Those three phases of parenting. Yep. I'm with you on that for sure. I totally agree. Well, and you're not, you're, you're, I don't know. Where are you? What phase are you in? I don't know. Maybe you're um, between two and three or something. Yeah. So when kids- I was, when my kids were your kids age, I was between two and three, I would say. <clears throat> Yeah, I've got a 13-year-old and an almost 16-year-old. So, um, so yeah, I, I I would say I'm 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 just got a a, a toenail into three. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, you know what? There are times where I feel sad, and there's times where I feel free, and it's like, Woo! you guys can stay home. Dad and I are going out, you know. So, uh, yeah. so there is there's joys and sorrows, really yeah. truly. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Um, Oh my gosh. Thank you. You know, so is there anything that you want to leave any of the listeners with just in terms of your book or, or what, you know, the way you look at parenting you, the way you look at us growing older and all of the stuff that comes with that. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. I mean, I guess for parents, I would just say, going back to something that you were, to to echo something you were saying at the beginning, I think we just all need to give ourselves permission to screw up, you know, and know that we are really imperfect creatures. We all are. Our kids are. We are. And as long as you can relate to each other honestly Mm. and with kindness and love, it's all probably just going to be okay in the end. I love that. You know, cool. and try not to compare yourself to other people. Like that's, that's where social media really kills you. No. Yeah. That's so true. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for this awesome conversation. I, I just, I love talking to you and the book, you can't miss it. It's got a fork with a prong missing on it. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's called, did I say that out loud? Midlife Indignities and How to Survive Them. Thank you so much, Kristen Van. Okay. No, I just got your name on Kristen yeah. Van. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Robin. It's been really fun to be with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and peace.